I'm in a series entitled, What to Do When It Seems, or rather, that's the title of my message. Let me go back to the title of the series. Purposes, Plans, Problems, and the Pursuit, and the Pursuit is of God. But I want to speak today from the subject of what to do when it seems God is leading you in the wrong direction. God's the one doing that. And I want to turn to our text, and that's Exodus chapter 13, verse 17 through 22. And don't you sit out there and look all Sunday morning sanctified like you have never thought that. God, I'm trying my best to follow you, and it looks to me like I'm going the wrong direction. Then it came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go that God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest perhaps the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea. And the children of Israel went up in orderly ranks out of the land of Egypt. And Moses took the bones of Joseph Joseph with him. For he had placed the children of Israel under solemn oath saying, God will surely visit you. And you shall carry up my bones from here with you. So they took their journey from Sukkoth and encamped in Etham at the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead the way. Hmm. And by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so as to go by day and night. He did not take away. Did not. The pillar of the cloud by day or the pillar of fire by night from before the people. I want you to notice in verse number 21, the Lord went before them in a visible manifestation of a pillar of a cloud by day and one of fire by night. Kind of hard to get it wrong. That this is God out in front of us leading us. And as the cloud is moving in a specific direction and the Lord has said, follow this cloud. It's kind of hard to get the idea that I'm not supposed to be chasing that thing. God said to. I want you to also read. I'll just read this. Let me do that. They might might put it up on the screen. Proverbs 3 verses 5 through 6. Trust in the Lord. With all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding in all of your ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct your path. Somebody point at yourself and say, he will direct my path. It just doesn't work for your neighbor. It works for me, my family, my house. God, I ask that you would speak to us this morning. And I thank you for an open heaven over this congregation and what you're doing here. It's amazing to see you at work and we are so grateful. Continue to bless, pour out of your spirit, let lives be transformed and let people experience the impacting forever radically moving power of God that once we have tasted of you that we want nothing else nothing else comes close we acknowledge that about you you're supreme in every way 
And your word feeds us like nothing else can. So speak to us, we ask in the name of Jesus. And everybody shouted and said, Amen. Amen. What to do when it seems that God is leading you in the wrong direction. And God had told Abraham in this passage of scripture uh, what that we see unfolding years before God had said to Abraham, I'm going to see to it that your descendants move into the land you're in right now, Abraham. And it's going to take 400 years. They'll be down in Egypt. They'll go through some things, but then I'm going to visit them. And when I do, they will be brought into this land of promise. We read that in Genesis 15, 18 through 21. On the same day, the Lord made a covenant. A covenant was something that couldn't be broken with Abram saying, to your descendants, I have given this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. And God made the same promise in the mouth of two or three witnesses. He made the same promise to Abraham's son, Isaac. In Genesis 26 and verse 3, dwell in this land and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and your descendants, I give all these lands, not just to you, but to your descendants. And I will perform the oath which I swore to Abraham, your father. After 400 years of captivity, painful slavery, backbreaking labor, God fulfilled his promise to the children of Israel to bring them out of Egypt. Now, the story to me is fascinating because of where the promised land was. I always used to be amazed, and if you've ever visited Israel and the whole world is focused on Israel right now, They've had over 500 killed in the latest terrorist attack, and many, many are wounded, and they are in a state of war. And uh, there have been a lot of people that have been taken hostage, and it's, it's horrible what is going on. God promised Israel that land. Many people don't know that that promise is founded in the Word of God and goes back many, many centuries. It goes back millenniums. And... And we are all focused on that land. And if you were to look at a map of where all this conflict that is in the news is taking place, you will notice that when Israel, if you look at their historical journeys, and some of the maps are drawn differently about their journeys. I'll get to that in a minute. When they crossed into the promised land, they crossed over Jordan River, but they did it from the east. That always used to mystify me. Because when Israel left Egypt and they crossed the Red Sea, they didn't go east and then due north, and they could have been right there. Had they hugged the Mediterranean Sea, the distance would have been less than 150 miles. They easily could have made the journey between two to three weeks. Easily. God was the one leading them. And yet, when they crossed over the Red Sea, they didn't go east and north, they went south and then east into the Arabian Peninsula. They used to think they wandered all over the Sinai Peninsula in different places, but they've discovered evidence to lead them to conclude otherwise. And Syria scholars now, most of them, 
Many of them, at least, believed that they wandered into Saudi Arabia and they found uh, evidences that seemed to support that. But what grips me about this is that the Bible says the Lord went before them as a pillar of cloud to lead the way and a pillar of fire by night to give them light. You're not in the right place. You're not going to get the light at night. Amen. And so if you want the benefits of serving God, you've got to go where he says. And sometimes we get this thing all figured out in our own minds, don't we? It needs to go from here to here and here and here. And we've got all of these plans and we, we lay our little plans out before the Lord and we say, okay, God, I got it figured out. I just need you to anoint what I figured out. And the Bible said in all of your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. We try to direct our paths and we want him to sanction what we have directed. Well, it's getting real quiet already, which lets me know that I'm right where I need to be. I'm in the sweet spot, okay? And, and so it was clear to everybody in Israel, they were not going in the direction of the promised land. When they took that, that, that sharp turn and went south. It was pretty obvious. Somebody's saying, like, we were supposed to take that left a long time ago. It's kind of like, if you've ever been on a road trip and your wife is saying, I think we were supposed to have turned left there. Now, nah, I know where I'm going. Amen. I think you're wrong. No, you just, you just sit over there and let me do my thing. I, I know what I'm doing. And about 25 miles later, you realize you should have taken that left just like she said. Amen. But you wouldn't listen. Well, Israel was going, but they were looking over their shoulder the whole time. We were supposed to turn right there. I'm quite sure we were. Israel came to that place and, and I can almost hear them complaining. You know, the promised land is in that direction. You, know, you guys forgot your compass broke, your GPS not working. It didn't move. We go that way. And yet the Lord is saying, march on in this direction. Has it ever happened to you that God finally got you going as you have pleaded with him to do in your life, your ministry, your marriage, your destiny, your finances, your business? It took forever just to get traction and now begin to move. And then you get to moving, but it's... Hey, that's not the direction I wanted to go in. That's not what I've been praying for. And sometimes it can seem that God is leading you the wrong way. That you're moving in the wrong direction, the opposite direction to where you feel you ought to be. And that is a problem for most of us. Because if we're looking for anything, we're looking for shortcuts. Oh, I wish somebody would help me. Amen. I want to invest $30 and be a multimillionaire in the next five years. You know, I want to go do everything that I'm going to do, but I want to invest $30 in a startup and just overnight it become as big as Amazon and I buy me a, a yacht just like Jeff Bezos. We want shortcuts. 
We don't want to take the direction sometimes that we need to go. But what you must understand is sometimes the fastest way is also the most dangerous. Ooh. I wish I could get somebody that's lived a little life to acknowledge the truth of what I just said. We want shortcuts. I want to go down and I want to read a book on anatomy and open a a doctor's office the next week. Not and cut on me. Uh Uh-uh. You hear what I'm saying? I want to be a pharmacist. I, I read an article about it. I know all about it. Uh, don't mix my, my medications, please. You know, I'm going to be an engineer and build that bridge. I know I can do it because one time I made one over a little stream with some sticks. No, there are no shortcuts in life. Shortcuts are usually dangerous. And the most steep roads in the world have switchbacks. Have you ever noticed those? Because you can't go straight up and over you will topple over. One of the most famous switchback roads in the world is La Slee de Montvignet. And you'll see this road in, in, in France during the Tour de France. If they'll put a picture of it up for me real quick. And, and there's the switchback. And y'all can't get that a little bit bigger. Amen. Because what you're not, I don't need to be in that picture. But look at this right here. You see, it zigs and zags and zigs and zags and and that's a head-on shot. They've got another one. I want to show it to you from the side, I think. Yeah, there we go. And it etches its way zigzagging right up the side of the mountain because you can't climb that mountain as steep as it is by driving straight up to the top. And life has switchbacks in it. And God knows that if he were to try to lead you straight To your destiny sometimes, I'm talking about purposes, plans, and the pursuit of God. That sometimes it would create catastrophe for us. God led Israel in the opposite direction of their promised land for two reasons. Number one, he led the children of Israel through the desert to avoid war. Had they taken that shorter route? It would have carried them right through the land of the Philistines, one of the most warlike people that lived in that era. And Israel did not know how to fight. They had forgotten how to fight. They had been slaves for so long, they didn't know how to use weapons anymore. They didn't know how to follow commands. They didn't know how to be self-disciplined. And God knew they still had hearts that were submitted to the servitude Uh, of dominating or domineering forces over them, cruel tyrants. And the first time they met a force that stood up against them, they would have collapsed and they would have bowed in submission and they would have even have ended up in a situation where they, rather than fight anymore, would have gone back into Egypt God doesn't want you to go back into bondage. And what a lot of people don't understand about transitioning in life or being set free, it's not just enough to get free. You've also got to learn something new so you don't go back to where you just came from because it's easy to fall back into old patterns again. 
That's why the Bible tells us Paul is constantly trying to change the way people think. Don't be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, he writes to the believers in Rome. He's not talking to people that are unsaved. He's talking to born again, sanctified, spirit-filled, praying, worshiping, church-going people that you are still walking in the same ideas and attitudes and thoughts and paradigms that you had before God rolled up his shirt sleeve, reached into sin and pulled and yanked you out of sin. And you got to change the way you think because if you don't, he writes in Galatians, you'll end up going back into bondage again. God doesn't want that. God knew that if Israel encountered resistance, they would immediately fall into submission as they had done as slaves. Reason number two, God brought them into Egypt, or out of Egypt into the desert to show Israel his power. Amen. He wanted Israel to know, I got this. The quickest way is right along the shores of the Mediterranean. It'll get you there in a hurry. But you'll miss a lot of life's lessons along the way. Ooh, that's a word for somebody. I wouldn't know what I know about life if I had not been through some of the things that I've had to walk through. I could give you all kind of advice and pontificate on things that I knew nothing at all about. But because I've been through a little bit in the course of my life, I can speak from a place of experience and tell you, I know a little something about that. I've been there. I've lived through that. And what you don't want to do is this and you don't want to do that, but you do want to do this. Amen. In the book of Hosea 2 and 14, God said that he drew Israel into the wilderness to speak comfort and peace to her. The Arabian desert is one of the harshest deserts on the face of the planet. And uh, they, just to get there, this is, if somebody did the math, talking about engineers a moment ago, someone did the math and calculated that if Israel numbering between three to three and a half million people crossed the Red Sea to abreast, double file, that it would have taken them, get this, 35 days and nights because the line would have been 800 miles long. Marching nonstop. Yet the scripture says it did not take them 35 days and nights. They did it in one night, remember? Well, somebody else did the math and figured out that to be able to get across in one night, the opening in the Red Sea had to be three miles wide and they marched across 5,000 abreast to do it in one night. God just doesn't do things. He does things in a big way. Amen. I'm telling you, there's nobody that it's more true about than it is God. Either go big or go home. God knows how to go big without having to go home. Hallelujah, hallelujah. God took care of it. Every time Israel camped, required a campsite of 750 square miles in size to be able to pitch all of their tents. Yet God took care of that. 
the quartermaster general of the United States Army some years ago stated that to feed three to three and a half million Israelites and their flocks and herds in the desert, it would have required 1,500 tons of food every day. I need somebody to realize we serve a great big God. I got to talk to you. I feel it in my bones. I got a word for somebody in this house. To deliver that 1,500 tons of food would have taken two freight trains, each one mile long, just to bring the food every day. But Israel got up in the morning and God had already dispatched angels that had it spread all over the ground. I serve a God that knows how to provide when I'm in the middle of my desert. I shout too much. I'm sorry. If you're visiting with us, you say, man, that guy raises his voice. I can't help it. I'm trying to be quiet on the inside. I, I am. You just can't see it. But when I get to thinking about the goodness of God, it's kind of hard to hold my peace. I got to tell it to somebody. I got to let somebody know. God's brought me through some of these kind of deserts. Amen. Amen. Somebody shouted and said, hallelujah. Hallelujah. To cook their food would have taken 4,000 tons of wood every day. And that would have required several other freight trains, all of them over a mile long to deliver it. Yet God delivered it and provided it every day. In the desert, there isn't hardly any water. Specifically that desert that gets a total accumulation of rain over a 10-year period of less than one inch. They go through 12 years at a time without any rainfall at all. I want you to think about it. And so you've got three to three and a half million people out there that need water to drink. Somebody calculated that was 11 million gallons of water needed every day just to keep them alive, not counting their livestock. And yet God caused one rock to levitate off the ground. It followed them wherever they went. And pouring out of that rock was water that turned a desert into an oasis. I'm talking about a God that knows where you are. And if you are where he is leading you, he will provide in the middle of your situation. Oh, somebody in the house needs to give God some praise right now. Hallelujah. Doesn't matter where you're at. God's got this. He knows where you are. He can handle it. I need somebody to just look at their neighbor and say, God can handle it. Would you do that? So why did God lead them in that direction? He didn't have to supply all those resources. He didn't need to do all that. He didn't need to take care of all this kind of stuff, but God did it. He wanted to show Israel a few things, amen. And even then in the middle of supernatural provision, so never think that just because you see a miracle, that's gonna convince you of anything, amen. Because even then, Israel tried to elect leaders to take them back to Egypt. 
You are prone to backslide in the middle of a miracle if your attention is not focused upon the giver of the miracle rather than the miracle. I'm preaching a lot better than somebody is responding right now. You may have been down and out and busted and disgusted and broke. And you may have had your back against the wall and life may have painted you into a corner. But look, get your eyes on him, not on what you need. Because if you focus on your need, as soon as that shows up, you think that's going to change a whole lot? No. Falling in love with Jesus is the best thing you'll ever do in your lifetime. We all need help. We all need miracles. We all need prayers answered. But we need to focus upon the one that can give the answers, not upon what we need. Because guess what? When you're focused on your need, you're focused on yourself. Amen. And we complain. You're taking me the long way. I'm going the wrong direction here. Lord, I prayed for a breakthrough. I prayed for a godly wife. I prayed for a man of God. Help me, Jesus. God's not through working on him yet. I'm talking to somebody right now. You hate the job that you're in, but it's the desert leading you toward your promised land. And I am still preaching better than you're responding right now. You hate where you're at, but God knows exactly where you're at. He's got you covered. He's got a cloud by day. He's got a pillar of fire by night. Hallelujah. 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 I'm going to preach myself happy in just a moment here because I've been through some stuff I didn't understand, but he was with me all of the time. He never left me, never forsook me. Hallelujah. I'm, d- I'm done. I've only got a couple of minutes left. Tell you a story that might help you. I have friends, Joe and Jean Porker, who are incredible people. Some of you may know them. I know some of our staff does. They've pastored great churches across the western part of the United States, the northwestern part specifically, and even into Texas. I preached for them in um, the Seattle, Washington area. They built a great church. I call them friends. Now, let me tell you about Joe. I don't ever get to see him. Never. I tell my friends, if I don't see you for 10 years, I I love you as much the last time I saw you. Life is busy when you do the things that that God calls you to do, and especially in the, the, the business that I'm in. And it is a business. I must be about my father's business. But if you're going to give it your best shot, you gotta, you got to be there when needs arise. And I haven't met anybody yet that plan, plans their 911 emergency. You understand what I mean? They just show up unannounced, and you got to roll with them when they come. So I don't always get to see all my friends, but I was preaching for Joe and Joe is a great guy, outdoorsman, great preacher, hunter, guide, tracker. He breaks wild horses as a hobby. I mean, 
He's done all of those things. And he lost his 12-year-old son who shot himself with a pistol. Now, I had, when I went out there, I had had all these accidents, surgeries, number of spine surgeries, fusions, disectomies, lemon. You've heard me say all of that before. I still have paralysis that I live with, loss of muscle mass, all of that. And it will be that way unless God gives me a miracle in terms of some of these things until the day that he calls me home. And I'm good with whatever God chooses to do because he took the pain away. But at that time, I was living with extraordinary pain. And there wasn't anything anybody could do about it but hand me another hydrocodone. And I refused to take them. Refused. Doctor thought I was crazy. And I'm sitting there and Joe and I are having lunch and I'm, I'm uncomfortable even while I was sitting there. And we begin to talk and he tells me about losing his 12-year-old son. And the way that I've been able to deal with this and process what I'm going through up to this point is say... Lord, I guess everybody's got some kind of cross to bear. And if this is the cross you want me to bear, I will bear it for you. Let me enter your sufferings. And let this not be for me. Let me carry your cross with you. And it helped me because I realized I was identifying with the the sacrifices that Jesus had made. And Joe told me what happened. His 12-year-old son had gotten a hold of his handgun and played with it and accidentally shot himself. And at that moment, I stopped complaining. I said, I'm not going to fuss anymore about pain. I don't care what I've been through. I'm not going to to complain to you about it, Lord. Lord, all I can say after that meeting is I walked away saying, Lord, I think I'll keep my cross rather than have to carry one like he's carrying. My heart aches for families that have lost loved ones and lost children. But do you get where I'm coming from? I could have been at that table telling my story of having had to bury A son or a daughter or a grandchild. I'm glad. I said, Lord, between me and you, forget everything that I ever complained about before. And most of us do that. Have you ever prayed prayers that you wanted to call back? Lord, you're just not doing this right. You need to fix this. You need to take care of it. I don't see why you're letting me live through all of this stuff. And then a little bit further down the road, you realize if God had done it your way, it would have messed you up for as long as you live. Lord, I want to marry that person. And you see them 20 years later and say... Thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm not making fun of anybody. I'm just being real right now. I didn't say man or woman either, so don't anybody get mad at me here. Oh, just thank you, Lord. You're not even Catholic and you want to do the sign of the cross. where I'm at 
When I'm in my desert, God knows where I'm at. He will not forsake me. And if I don't lean to my own understanding, he will see me through. I want our musicians to come, if they would. I think of Joseph. Talk about switchbacks in the course of his life. Dreams that he's someday going to be standing there and his own parents are going to bow down and do obeisance to him and his brother's will. And then what happens? He gets thrown in a pit. Who am I talking to that as you pursue after God, that you ended up in a pit? You say, I was just trying to do what was right. I felt like God was leading me. God said, go this way. Man, I had a pillar of fire, pillar of cloud. I was doing the right thing. I ended up in this pit here. Lord, get me out. But you see, if he hadn't been in the pit, he wouldn't have been sold to Ishmaelite traders. And if he hadn't been sold to Ishmaelite traders, they wouldn't have carried him into Egypt and sold him to Potiphar to be a slave. Potiphar, don't forget, was the captain of the Gord, Pharaoh's security team. Had Joseph been sold to anybody else, story would not have turned out the same way. And so he sold into Potiphar's house as a slave. Out of all the people that might have been in a slave market during that time. And then, don't you know it, Potiphar's wife lies on Joseph. And he gets put into prison. Well, if you don't know it, there were more than one prison back in the day. There were prisons in all of these cities in Egypt. But he landed because he was a slave in Potiphar's house in the royal prison where prisoners were put who had angered royalty or officials. And because he was in that prison, he was there when a baker and a butler who served Pharaoh were thrown into jail. And if he had been in any other prison, he would never have met the baker and the butler and they had dreams and Joseph interpreted them and they came true and then the butler is released from prison and he's serving Pharaoh again and Pharaoh said man I had a dream oh Lord I woke up early this morning I can't sleep this dream is troubling me it was repeated twice and he commanded his wise men, won't you tell me what it means? They said, we don't have a clue. And the butler says, uh, I'm remembering my sins today and how I grieved you, sir. Sire, there is in the prison a Hebrew that the spirit of God is with. And he can tell you the meaning of the dream." And so, no pit, no Potiphar. No Potiphar, no prison. No prison, no butler. No butler, no Pharaoh. And Joseph was called and interpreted Pharaoh's dream 
and was that day elevated and promoted to the second in command. Of all of Egypt. And this is what I've come to close with. You can trust God. Oh, that that was a weak response. I said, you can trust. I need somebody to say it with conviction like they mean it. I can trust God. I can trust him. I don't understand his ways, but I can trust him. I don't know why he's leading me this direction. But I can trust him. And I know that when everything is settled and done, it's going to work for my good. It's going to work for my good. I'm coming out on top. I'm going to be blessed. I'm going to be the head and not the tail. I'm going to be above and not beneath. I'm going to walk out of here with an anointing. I'm going to see my life transformed. You can't get me down, devil. You can't make me doubt the goodness of the God I serve. I might be in a hospital right now. And I could be talking to somebody who really is in a hospital. But I got a word for you. You may have gotten a report that's shaking you to your bones. Prayer counselors, please come. But just want to let you know, wherever you are in the hospital, God's got this. That's your desert. He's got a freight train coming your way right now. Who am I talking to? You hear that sound? That's your freight train of blessings coming. Give God some praise in this house. 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 Somebody needs to shout their way out of a situation right now. Somebody needs to go to to God and worship their way.